uh, who feels like you've got, you know, you've got, you're on it. You've got 2019 by the scruff of the neck. You've like already got it into submission. Who feels like 2019 has got them by the scruff of the neck and you may well already be in submission? Well, I wanted us to kind of, when I feel like that, and I'm definitely in that latter category, I find it so helpful to focus on what's God going to do this year? What's his heart? What's his focus? What's he uh, looking for in us and from us and with us? And I want to read you a prophecy that was brought to us uh, last year, I think it was, uh, or just at the end of uh, 2017, uh, by a guy called John, who's brought many significant words to us as a church. And he, he said this, 2018 and 19 will be significant years for us as a church. I saw a step change in the church visibility and influence growing steadily, particularly for us as a church, around sustaining an encounter with God, not just riding a wave, being able to sustain encounters with the Lord, being able to linger for longer, being able to live in it for longer. And when we heard that word, there was such a strong resonance with it, and there were other words that were coming to us. We felt like, yes, this is what we feel the Lord is doing. And in fact, already have seen that and seen the influence increase and the kind of uh, um, impact of our church in, in the town and the nation increase. Uh, but this word brings us back to the centrality of the fact that this is about, firstly and foremost, uh, foremostly, us encountering God, us meeting with God is the priority. That's got to be the focus for us as a community. And so I want to talk to you this morning about that. I want to talk to you about encounter with God. And I, want to, uh, I felt as I was praying about this meeting, I felt God say to me, prepare my people for encounters with me. So that's what I want to, you don't sound that excited. Okay, I'll say it again. I'll say it to this side. Prepare my people for encounters with me. That sounds good, doesn't it? So, so you guys get another chance later, but it was too late that time. We, we want to take a moment just to fix our eyes on what does it look like to encounter God? How do we prepare ourselves for that? And so uh, I want to read you uh, a passage from the scriptures. Uh, it's from uh, the book of Exodus. And this is uh, the people of Israel. They have come out of, ex of uh, this is the Exodus from um, Egypt where they were slaves. And they are now wandering through the desert on their way to the promised land led by a man called Moses. And this is uh, a little section from that story. Wherever, whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand at the entrance of their own tents. They were obviously a nomadic people. They were on the move. And so they had this big tent where they uh, uh, set apart to meet with God called the tent of meeting. Uh, and, and they themselves lived in, in tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent... They would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks with a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but a young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. One day, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me who you'll send with me. You've told me I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so that I might understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I'll personally go with you, Moses, and I'll give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. He wants a bit of insurance, doesn't he? How will anyone know that you are looking favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. And the Lord replied to Moses, I'll indeed do what you've asked. I will look favorably on you, for I know you by name. 
Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I'll call out my name, Yahweh, before you. And I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I'll show compassion on anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I'll hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. Powerful, powerful passage. And I just want to draw out a few kind of implications and observations from that passage for us. And, and the first that stands out to me again and again in that passage is the incredible hunger for encounter with God. The, these people were carrying an incredible hunger with encounter, for encounter with God. And Moses is foremost. Notice what he says. If you don't go with me, don't send me from here. He is desperate to encounter God. He is so hungry to encounter God's presence and to walk with God. He's like, don't send me, God. I don't care where you're sending me. You've said that I've got favor with you. Then please, please, will you meet with me. And you see Moses, after he would go back to the people, Joshua, his uh, kind of sidekick, uh, that you know, the Robin of the story, he would stand and wait at the tent of meeting. He wanted to stay with God in that place and did not want to move on. And, and what you see here is an example of men, in fact, a whole people who are hungry for God. And you know, what I've seen is that life can be so much about the how-tos. How do you do this? How do you do that? You know, you look through Facebook and Instagram or whatever, and it's always, isn't it, 10 ways to grow bigger vegetables and, you know, six ways to have the perfect pedicure. And, uh, I, you know, I, I should take my shoes and socks off. You guys will... No, no. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's just 10 ways of this and 15 ways of that and six ways of that. You've, seen, you've read those articles. It's all about the how-to. It's the next step, isn't it? How do you do this? And, and even the Christian life can be like that. How do we do this? And, and how do we pray more and, and, and read the Bible better? And it can be the whole of life can be how-to, how-to, how-to. And, and even as church, it's like, where are we going to reach and what are we going to do next at life? Life can be filled with the how-tos, but what this passage reminds us and what Moses and, and Joshua remind us is that none of that is ba bad necessarily, but what is most important is this, that we encounter God. <laughs> That we are called to be a people of his presence. That his presence is to be the thing that defines us. Because without his presence, we're just the same as everyone else. But he has promised that we are to be a people of his presence. That we are to be a people who encounter him. The world needs above everything else is our communion with God. That we would commune and meet with God. And we would bring others into that communion, that connection with him. I'm going to try that over this side. What, you've had your second chance now. What the world needs above anything else is our communion with God, that we would know God and meet God and connect with him and bring them into that relationship. So I'll give you another chance later, babe. I really need some more. This is what we are to be defined as. This is why Paul writes, the Apostle Paul writes this, if we're prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come to our meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed. They will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly among you. And God has said to all his people in all time, you're to be a people of my presence. You're to be, thank you, you're to be a people of my presence. That's what to set is to set you apart. I just want to read you a story which I've read and many of you will have heard before, but this story, I just keep coming back to it. 
whenever I want to be reminded of this point, it's a man called John G. Lake, who was uh, one of the heroes of the faith of mine. He was an American missionary in Africa, but before he went to Africa, uh, this was his story. His wife was dazed from death. She had terminal cancer. Uh, a vicar friend of his came and told him to prepare you know, for the end and to prepare his wife for the end. And, uh, and what happened was he just went back from that meeting in a bit of a storm. He threw his Bible on the table, and uh, he was just desperate. And this is what it says. This is his writing. Uh, the book opened at the 10th chapter of Acts, and my eyes fell on the 38th verse, which reads, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Like a flash from the blue, these words pierced my heart, oppressed by the devil. So God was not the author of this sickness, and the people who Jesus healed had not been made sick by God. I then read Luke 13, 16, ought not this woman who Satan has bound be loose from this bond? Once again, Jesus attributed sickness to the devil. What, what a faith sprang up in my heart. What a flame of knowledge concerning the word of God and the ministry of Jesus went over my soul. I saw as never before why Jesus healed the sick. He was doing the will of his father, and in doing his father's will, he was destroying the work of the enemy. He phoned everyone he knew and said, pray for me tomorrow at 9.30 in the morning. And so at that time, 9.30 the next morning, he knelt by the side of his, bed, his wife's bed and he prayed. And the power of God fell on her and immediately and instantly she was healed. She threw back the bedclothes, she got to her feet and she said, praise God, I'm healed. <laughs> after her healing, after her healing, people came from all over the nation that they would pray for them as a couple. And so they did. And since she was healed in 1898, Lake started preaching and holding healing meetings in the Chicago area. That He did it part-time for about 10 years. And during that time, hundreds of people were healed and set free. And this is what he writes. By the end of 10 years, I believe I was the hungriest man for God that ever lived. My friends would say, Lake, you've got a beautiful baptism of the Holy Spirit. I would say, it's nice as far as it went, but it's not answering the cry of my heart. So for the first nine months of 1907, he fasted, he prayed, he cried out to God just to have all of God that he could get. And then one October day, Lake was praying for someone else when something like a warm tropical rain began to pour over his soul. He heard God say, I've heard your prayers. You are now filled with the Holy Spirit. And a power came on me, a power like never before. He was still sitting in his chair when a downpour of electricity, electricity like current, surged through his body, causing him to convulse out of control. When the phenomena had passed, Lake wrote, the glory of it remained in my soul. I found that my life began to manifest many gifts of the Spirit. Healings were of a more powerful order. My nature became so sensitized, I could lay my hands on any man or woman and tell you exactly what was wrong with them and to what extent. And he even did that. He went to the local hospital and said to him, bring me any patients, because in then the medical field was very, very rudimentary. Tell, give me any patients that you don't know what's wrong with them. He would lay hands on them, and he would tell them what was wrong with them, and then he would pray for them, and they would be healed. And this is what he used to say, hunger is the greatest persuader I know of. Blessed are those that hunger. Governments have learned the hard way that once a people get hungry, you better watch out. God's purposes don't come about mechanically. No, they come to pass when your heart and mind, when your heart and my heart get the real cry, the God cry, the real God prayer comes into our spirit. When it becomes a supreme cry, not the second matter, not the third matter, or the fourth, or the fifth, or the tenth, but the first thing, the supreme desire of our hearts is, God, I have to meet with you. I have to meet with you. 
And when we encounter God, so many different things happen. We hear God's voice like Moses does in this story. We speak in intimate ways like Moses does in this story. Our hearts are changed. And you read it in the early church. When God came, fear was thrown out and boldness came on them such that they preached with incredible boldness and immense persecution. And, and many, many things happen. And we see, we see wisdom and faith come when God meets with us. And, and we see all changes in every area. We see that our enemies routed and we, we see God's power manifest around us. But do you know what? More than anything else, when we encounter God, as Moses said, show me your glorious presence, we get a revelation of God himself. It's not about all the outward stuff, although that's important. It's about we get to meet with God in a whole new way. Show me your glorious presence, says Moses. And the Lord replied, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And I will call out my name before you. I'll show mercy to anyone I choose. And I'll show compassion to anyone I choose. If you've got a hunger this morning for God in 2019 to say, God, I'm hungry to meet with you. Because he's promised that he will meet with us in special ways this year. But it has to be mixed with our faith, with our hunger. That God, we too want to meet with you. And the second thing is this. There was an expectation. Do you, do you notice in that story we read how bold Moses was? He's like, God, you're telling me that I've got favor? Then meet with me. <laughs> you're telling me that I've got favor and that you're with me? Then as I go, don't, go, don't send me on my own. You've got to come with me. Do you get that? Moses knew that God looked favorably upon him. And because of that, he put a demand on heaven that God would walk with him. We might think, well, what about us? This is what it says in Ephesians. In Jesus, we are chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything out to the purpose of his will. Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace, which means undeserved favor, that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The reality is this. If Moses had favor, you have more. Because he had a, a shadow, a type, a foretaste of what was to come, which was the favor that was for all people who would come to God in Christ. You have God's favor on your life. What would it look like, not just to hope and to wish, but to wake up every morning of 2019 and look as you open your eyes and say, God... Thank you that your favor's on my life. Thank you that I have favor on my life. Not because of what I've done or what yesterday was like or what last year was like, but because of what Christ has done. He is the one who has made a way. He is the one who has put favor on my life. God, you look at me favorably. Let's meet together. Let's walk together. Let's talk together. What would it look like to walk into your office and into your workplace and as your hand goes onto the handle of the door to say, I've got the favor of God in my life. It sounds so arrogant, but it's not because it's a promise. God has promised it to you and to I that we would walk in this favor. Are you walking into 2019 with expectation? With expectation that God wants to meet with you, wants to encounter you, wants to walk with you. You know, let me just spit this story into the bigger picture because some of you might think, well, you know, this presence of God stuff, it's all a bit kind of charismatic, you know, it's kind of you guys go on about this all the time. But this is not just part of the story. This is the story. This is the story right from the beginning. The Bible says Adam and Eve met with God and walked with him in the garden. They talked with him. They communed with him in, right at the beginning of the scriptures. And then the story goes that they sinned and broke that fellowship and were ejected from the garden from the presence of God. 
And then the whole story from then is the, the, the story of man's restoration back to walking with God. And God meets with a man called Abraham. And he meets with a man called Moses. And then out of that we read the story. That's where this story fits. It's all kind of temporary and, and, and transient. And then suddenly God says, no, build a temple and I'll meet with you there. And so they build a temple. But even in that temple, there was a symbol of the separation, a veil, a, a curtain, which was incredibly thick and 60 feet wide and 30 feet high, a symbol that's saying, I'll meet with you, but only in part. There's a barrier. There's a difficulty here, and it's your sin. I'm a holy God, and, and, and your sin is causing an issue between us. And then the story comes to a climax in Christ when he comes and he says, do you know what? This temple is going to be blown away because I am the new temple, and I am the place where you now meet with God. It's in me that you can meet with God. And when he died, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. From top to bottom, which is actually significant. You can just skip over it. It's significant because it was 30 feet high. And so if a man had ripped it, it could only have been ripped from the bottom. They didn't have stepladders in those days. Not like that. And so the fact that it was ripped from top to bottom is significant because it shows that God has done it. He has torn the veil so that we can meet with God. And then the story goes on from there to the climax, which PJ Paul read last week in Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old earth and the old heaven had disappeared. The sea was gone. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God. Out of heaven, like a bride, beautifully dressed for her people. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He'll live with them and they'll be his people. And God himself will be with him, will be with them. My point is, this is not just an add-on. This is the story. This is what it's all about, is us, people walking with God, communing with him face-to-face. This is the whole point. My point is, this is not just our idea. This is not just us going into 2019 saying, God, we want to meet with you. This is him saying, I've always wanted to meet with you. This is my idea. And, and you know, we can sing the songs, God, I want to meet with you. And that's not, that's not bad. And that can show hunger. Uh, and that can be a good thing. But if it's not rooted in, first, God, you want to meet with me, then suddenly it all gets upside down. It's got to be meet, rooted in an expectation that we will meet with him because it was his idea. He wants to meet with his people. And everything, the whole story has been about that. It's been about getting our sin out of the way so that a holy God could meet with his people, that we could be cleansed. You know, as a famous pastor I, I've uh, known of many years, I met briefly 20 years ago, and I met him again recently. And uh, I didn't expect him to remember me, and he did. He remembered meeting me, and he remembered, and he'd heard stories, and he said, I'm so encouraged with what here's happening at the King's Arms. And at the end, he said, I have my phone number. We must stay in touch. I was so happy. <laughs> What's the point? He initiated. He initiated. He initiated. It wasn't my idea. I didn't have any expectation that he would want to stay in touch with me. He initiated. That's just a pathetic little story in the scheme of the picture of God. He initiated. He initiated. You might be thinking, well, what about my sin? What about the things? 2018 was not a great year. I've done stuff wrong. I'm not particularly clean. And do you know what? To be honest, if you are thinking that, I'm actually quite encouraged. Because what I see today is a world, a society that doesn't really pay any attention to their own sin, doesn't even recognize that term thinks that God owes them something, just a sense of entitlement, just a sense that, well, God owes me a meeting. He should just forgive me, and what's his big problem? Why is he so uptight? That's what I see 
And do you know what the Bible says about that? God resists the proud. He resists the proud. So if that's your attitude this morning towards God, I would say, I would urge you to repent because your sin is a big deal. God did not send his son to the cross for no reason. It wasn't just, oh, that sounds like a nice idea. That will make, you know, nice Easter poster. It cost him everything to deal with your sin. Your sin is a big deal. But if you are broken under your sin and you realize how unworthy you are to meet with God, there's another half to that verse which says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. As we humble ourselves under his hand and say, God, we are not worthy to meet with you, he lifts us up and said, then meet with me in my son. In Christ, you have been washed clean. His blood has cleansed you from your sin to make a way that you could meet with God. I've told you before, but it's the best illustration I have. Putting my son to bed one night. It was about four, one of my sons. And as I tucked him in, his little head's poking out the covers. He said, you really want to snuggle me, don't you? So... So I did. I gave him a good old snuggle. But the but the significance the significance is not him saying I want to snuggle you. The significance is him saying you want to snuggle me. And there's a world of difference between those two, because we can sing the songs. God, we really want to meet with you, and it can be kind of orphan and desperate, rather than God, you want to meet with me. You want to meet with me. You want to encounter me. And I do want to also encounter you. It's a two-way thing. It's not us coming to a reluctant God, begging him. Stop begging. Don't beg him. The begging is done. It's over. The Bible is a story of people begging to meet with God, but then Christ came. The begging's done. He's shown us. He has made the way for us to meet with him. Now expect. Expect. Not pridefully. It's not about you or what you've done. No, expect because of what he has done. That he has made a way. Expect to meet with him. I hope you have hunger, but I hope you have an expectation this year. Not just because of a prophetic word, but because of what his word, God's word says. And I just want to talk a little bit about the reality of the encounter with God. Because you know what? It looks different to different people. And for some, you know, we see times that that we have to pursue it. Moses and Joshua in this story, they pursue God for encounter. When he turns up, they go, they find him. There's a pursuit of God. But there's sometimes there's an unexpected. It just happens. You know, Moses, years before this, he's messed it up. He thinks his life is over. He's kind of missed the plan of God. He's walking in the desert. He's a shepherd. The only job he could get, he's fled from his land and he's living as an outcast. He's walking along one day, he sees a bush on fire. He was in the desert, bushes caught fire all the time. But as he's walking past, he notices that bush didn't go out. And so he turned aside, it says, to have a look. And he meets with God. Sometimes we pursue it. Sometimes it's just unexpected. Sometimes it's public, like this story we read. It's the cloud, it's the temple. We've seen that here, amazing stories when the whole room is filled with burning. We've had that and there wasn't a fire genuinely. We've, we've seen it when the whole room is filled with the awe of God. And I talked to my friend at the back and at the end he said, I was genuinely terrified. We've seen the public and the big. And we see that in this story. But sometimes it's just the private you know, you're sitting there with your Bible of a morning 
and you're reading 1 John 3 and it says, God lavished his love on us. And you've read it a hundred times before, but suddenly, boom, (laughs) it hits you. God lavished his love on me. God lavished his love on me. Or you're at work and you're staring, and this happened to me, you're staring at an Excel spreadsheet. And suddenly God speaks to you about, have you really got faith for finance? You're staring at that number an awful long time. Do you believe I can provide for this business? Sometimes it's public, isn't it? Sometimes it's in the private. Sometimes it's sensational. We read a sensational story today. I told you a sensational story about John Lake. We see that in the early uh, church. The room is shaken. But sometimes it's just tender. The encounter with God is not sensational. It's just tender. And, you know, as I walk along often, I pray the Jesus prayer. Jesus Christ, Son of God, fill me with your light. Just a simple prayer. I don't know if you have a prayer like that, that you can just pray just simply, Jesus Christ, Son of God, fill me with your light. I don't believe in Eastern meditation, emptying the mind. I believe in filling the mind with just sometimes just simple phrases. Jesus Christ, Son of God, fill me with your light. Walking along, just saying that prayer, boom. <laughs> Sense of the presence of God. Sometimes it's tender. Sometimes it's mediated. Like this story where Moses is the mediator between God and his people. The people don't go near that. There's a man in between. Moses mediates the encounter with God. And sometimes we have encounters like that. They involve other people. That's what mediated means. Other people are involved. And, and you know, I have numerous stories. I'm sure you, you have as well of praying. I was one time, I was, uh, just went to, I was working in IT. I was an IT manager for a company. And I went to a Christian meeting in one afternoon, I was thinking I was part-time for the church, and there was a lady there called Janet Brand, who was a South African rapping prophet. It was o- as odd as it sounds. She was odd. She was South African. She was uh, a middle-aged lady, and she rapped her prophecies. It was strange. But it was awesome, because she picked me out in the room, and she said, never met her before, literally just walked into the room five minutes prior. prior. She knew no one in the room, and she said, you work with networks of computers. This is in rap. I won't do it for you because I couldn't possibly do it. No, no, no. I, I couldn't, honestly. No, no, no. Honestly, I couldn't do it. <laughs> she said, you work with networks of computers. You will come alive now, this side. Right? <laughs> you work with networks of computers, she said, but God is moving you to work with networks of churches. Boom, the presence of God filled the room. You missed the point of the story now because you were... Baying for my humiliation. <laughs> Including my wife, I might note. Sometimes it's mediated, sometimes it's unmediated. It's just you and God. It's just, there's no one else involved, like my f- friend, a pastor in another church in Wales, and he had a chronic sickness, cluster headaches, on and on, was not able to work, was not able to barely function in life. Just cr- chronic, chronic headaches. And one day he's out walking, and he passes a tree that he always passes, and he said, that's, no, that's odd, someone scrawled something on the tree, and he went and up, looked, and carved into the tree was a Bible verse. And he looked up the Bible verse, I can't even remember what the verse was, but it was an incredible encouragement to him about his healing, and within a few days he was totally healed. He went back later, weeks later, because he had to check out his healing, to check out the trees, and there's nothing on the tree. <laughs> and then he walked along every tree in the area, he said, I searched every tree, there was nothing written on any of those trees. Sometimes it's mediated, it's other people pray, lay hands on you, speak to you. Sometimes it's just God and you. Sometimes it's rapid. Moses had this rapid, God rocks up. 
And sometimes it's gradual, it's just an unfolding revelation. You know, like last year, those of you around will know, I took six months out not to preach because uh, God had spoken to me about it. And to be honest, I was, because everyone had sacrificed, I'd sacrificed, everyone had sacrificed to do this. I was expecting the angel at the end of the bed, you know, I was expecting the trumpets from heaven, I was expecting the big moment, and nothing came. But there was just a gradual unfolding of revelation that God was speaking to me through that time. And sometimes it's through joy, you know. Just many times in worship, just as we sing together, and I'm just, my heart feels like it's going to burst. Ever had that? Just with joy at what God has done and who He is and how faithful He's been. But sometimes it's through pain. The encounter with God is through pain. Our crossover service at, uh, um, over the New Year's period, we just did spontaneous testimonies, I think five or six testimonies. What was fascinating was half, if not over half of them, were how God has, they were thankful that God had met them in the place of pain that year. Moses has it both, doesn't he? The story here, the joy of the, te- the cloud coming down. And as I told you earlier, the pain of broken man meeting God at the burning bush. It can be in either way. My big point on this is this. Don't box God in. Don't box him in, because I've seen so many people make this mistake. They, want, they start with a hunger, God, I want to meet with you, but they've got this specific way that they want to meet with him. They've seen someone else or heard a famous person tell a story, or one of their friends has met with God, or even other people in the room, and they say, well, when they meet with God, they shake, or they fall over, or this happens, or they, you see an angel at the end of the bed, and when I meet with God, and they box God into a particular way, and sooner or later, the hunger becomes disappointment, and then the disappointment becomes disengagement, and then they're just kind of just there. And I've seen so many people go through that journey. And I want to say to you, don't box God into a particular way because he is God and we are not. And so when we go into this year, don't have a particular expectation about a specific way. Expect to meet with God. That's, that's humility. That's, that's, the, that's the, the, the promise of God to us. He will meet with us. Expect to meet with him, but don't box him into a particular way. Don't say, it's got to be this way, God. You know, if you were to meet you know, someone you really wanted to meet, I don't know, the Queen or, I don't know, Ronaldo or Kim Kardashian or something. Like that. Anyway, uh, you're someone that you really wanted to meet and you suddenly got a message saying, I'll meet with you. Would you say, well, I'll meet with you at my home then or I'll meet with you at the pub on my street. Would you, would you put a demand around where and when and how? You'd be like, whenever, 2 a.m., I'll be there. Service station on the M1, I'll be there. I don't care where you, wherever I will meet with you. Wouldn't you do that? What's different with God? And yet, thinking that it's hunger, so many put a box around God saying, no, no, I must meet with you in this way. Ah, Don't box him in. Humility says, both God, I see your favor on my life. I see that I have got favor in Christ. You have promised to meet with me. Now I'll meet with you any way you want. (laughs) I'll meet with you in the school playground. I'll meet with you in the church meeting. All I know is I'm going to meet with God. Shouldn't that take us into 2019 with a sense of excitement? You are going to meet with God. You're going to walk with Him. Sometimes in the spectacular and sometimes in the small private place. Post yourself every day this year. This is what Craig Keener says. If we must feel God's presence before we believe He is with us, we again reduce God to our ability to grasp Him, making Him an idol instead of acknowledging Him as God. And just we'll finish with this, and that's this. Jesus is the one who brings us into the true encounter with God. Because do you know what? You can never have enough hunger or an expectation or enough knowing how to do it exactly the right way. But the good news is there is someone who does. And his name is Jesus. 
And all of these stories point to him. Jesus is the true Joshua who waited by the tent to meet with God. Jesus is the true Moses who carried the favor of God perfectly. Even Moses blew it, but Jesus carried it perfectly such that his baptism, the father said to him, you are my beloved son and in you I am well pleased. Jesus is the true one who makes God's goodness pass before us. And he said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is the one who was cut off from the presence of God, who cried out on the cross, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cut off. He knew perfect intimacy with God's presence. He encountered God in a sustained way, and yet he was cut off. Why? So that you and I could meet with God, (laughs) that we could find his face. Fix your eyes on Jesus this year because he is the perfect mediator of the perfect encounter. He is the one who brings us to the Father. And if you've never heard the name of Jesus or put your faith in him this morning, this is a great morning to do so, to ask him to wash you from your sin, to tear the veil over your heart, to bring you to the Father. And if you've been walking with Jesus for many years, come to him again at the beginning of 2019 with a sense of hunger a sense of expectation. Jesus, you're going to bring me to the Father all over again in a whole new way. And I'm so excited to see what it looks like. Maybe it'll be spectacular. Maybe it'll be just in the private place. Maybe it'll be rapid. Maybe it'll be gradual. Who knows? All I know is that God has promised to meet with me. This is what Romans says. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, fears, For today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is our life in Christ. He's the perfect encounter. And God is calling us this year to come with hunger and expectation and to fix our gaze on him and meet with him in a whole new way. Let's see what he'll do. Let me finish. Put your hand on your heart. And just tell him, God, Father, I'm hungry. Father, I'm expectant that this is going to be a year of encounters with you, sustained encounters with you. Teach me your ways. Show me the favor that you have. Don't send me into this year without your presence. Amen.